Hi, I'm Ming-Na Wen. I play Agent Melinda May from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you are listening to the big, beautiful, what? <laughs> Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... I tell people that... Um, you know, the old adage is uh, the hardest thing in the world is to get published for the first time. Yeah. And that is true, but in the end, the hardest thing you'll ever do is to stay published. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because you can get published, but staying published means you have to sell books. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. And how are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing awesome. And, you know, we keep, we always um, hang on to this one until the very end when many yes. – most people probably aren't listening anymore. But if you want to give us a call, leave us a voicemail, um, 301-825-5653. If you leave a voicemail, we could uh, use that message on another episode. Perfect. And uh, a few, I don't even remember how long ago it was. It was a while ago. We did an episode with the showrunners and I think they were the executive producers of Dino Trucks, the Netflix yes. television show. Or we I guess, did. I guess it's a television. It's funny that we say that TV show. It's on Netflix. It's not well, really. It, I mean, it is on your TV, right? <laughs> yeah, it's I not guess. like you have to go to a theater to see it. It's funny. <laughs> anyway, that's just an aside. I was just thinking about that. It's like when you say uh, you're going to tape something. <laughs> yeah, we still do that. Or we say, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna go tape tonight's show or yeah. whatever. It's, nobody uses tape anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Kids don't even know what that is. Um, I know. So, but yes, we did. It was yeah. uh, Ron, Birch, Ron Birch and David Kidd. Uh, they're the executive producers and showrunners of Dino Trucks. And right. I'd have to go back to check the exact episode, but I think it was in the 30s somewhere. Right. And what what was cool about that is we talked to them about you know the development of the show, and we even asked them questions about um, if they worked with the original creator of the books chris gall and what was neat about that is now we have a chance to talk to chris and see so now we're coming at this we saw the perspective of what it's like to create a show from an existing idea and now we're talking to him and we get a look into what it's like to have your work taken by a studio and turned into something it's pretty yeah. neat to see the different perspectives yeah, and w what I think is interesting too is that if you go back and listen to that episode and, you know, what they said about working with Chris and how involved he was and then talking with Chris about his involvement. Yeah. Um it's funny, it's I don't know, it's funny, but it's it's interesting to get those two different perspectives about, you know, the development process and how involved each felt the other was and that sort of thing. So it's it, it's interesting and uh um yeah, I mean, we, we've we've talked about Dino Trucks before, obviously, and you know, my kids are a fan. They were a fan of the books. They were a fan of the show, um, and so uh, it, it's cool to see a book brought to life in a way that's completely different from mm -hmm. the source material, but still completely cool and unique on its own. What you were saying too during during the interview um, about them being completely different, I I just think that is so neat how. 
they took this idea and made it, you know, very different from the books, but what you were saying, it just, it works and mm-hmm. it, the fundamentally it remains the same concept. It's, it's really cool how one guy can have this idea and create it and do it. And then other people can take it and run with it in a different direction, but it still works on the same, you know, two different yeah. mediums. It works. Yeah. And it doesn't always work. Like it right. hasn't always worked. There are obviously many, many cases where they, people have tried that and it's failed spectacularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case it works and maybe it's just because dinosaurs and trucks mashed together is just an <laughs> awesome concept. Um, and really, how could you do that wrong? Um, but yeah, they are, they are, I mean, again, I think though the biggest differences are just visual, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the character designs and it's the worlds in which, you know, one is illustrated and the other is this, you know, much more fleshed out CG world that, you know, the characters move around in and talk and do stuff. Um, so it feels a bit more quote unquote real and it feels a little bit more lived in, but they're both, um, both versions I think are it's totally awesome for their own reasons. <laughs> All right. So we're going to play the interview today with Chris Gall, who is the author of the original source material for the Dino Truck show. So it's also called Dino Trucks, so the books. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's written uh, a number of other books as yes. well. So he's not just the Dino Trucks no, guy. No. He's written, I think, 13, 14, something like that, children's books. Mm-hmm. And only three or four of those are the Dino Trucks. So he's got a lot of other books. Highly recommend you check most of them out, if not all of them. Um, he's written and illustrated all of them um, himself. So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Go check them out. Go to Amazon. Go to your library. All right. Chris, so, Chris oh. go. Go get it. Go buy it. We'll, we'll send you our <laughs> affiliate link. <laughs> all right. We're going to play the interview right now. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, yeah, we've. Um, if anybody who's been listening to the show knows that we're big fans of Dino Trucks, um, my kids were in love with the books, and then when the show came out, they were in love with the show, and sure. um, we had the executive producers of the show on, and so uh, we're more than happy to talk Dino Trucks, and we're just pleased sure. to talk to you today about the, that and lots of other stuff. So. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's start with Dino Truck since I brought it up. And the idea for, you know, mixing together, you know, dinosaurs and trucks seems like such a natural one because it's two things that kids love and it's just smashed together. Did that just arise arise naturally? Like you were just thinking like, why hasn't this been done before? Or did it come from somewhere else? Well, it it came from somewhere else. Only later did I kind of discover, you know, happily that it had not been done before. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, as I, I tell the story, um, uh, this was probably six years ago or so, I was working on a, a new book and I thought it was going to be a truck book. So I was thinking about all the different things that trucks could do. And uh, I had this working title called uh, When Good Trucks Go Bad. <laughs> so this was the title I was trying to write the story to. And I had this idea of these trucks would just romp around and misbehave. And, and then so I was this was all stewing in my mind. And so I'm studying trucks when I'm out and about. I'm in my car and. You know, one day I was in some construction site on the highway and I was watching all these big earth movers move around. And um, I mean, right then and there, I just thought, well, you know, these really look like dinosaurs to me. This reminds me of dinosaurs. And um, so I thought, well, okay, what's the story then? You know, and I started thinking, well, it'd have to be like millions of years ago. The trucks were more for more primitive, you know, and they only evolved into the friendly, helpful trucks later on. So that was sort of the the germ of the story, you know, and then, uh, of course, my first thought was 
somebody has had to have done this. So it's almost pointless for me to Google it, you know, but I did, you know, and I was, I was surprised there were, there were dinosaurs who, who rode trucks mm-hmm. and there were, you know, trucks and blah, blah, yeah. blah, but there really wasn't the two of them together. Yeah. It's amazing when something like that happens, you know, you're like, lucky. well, I can't have been the first person to think of this, right? <laughs> lucky, very lucky. <laughs> How uh, much, um, yeah. when you're coming up with an idea, you know, whether it was the dino trucks or a new creature in the dino trucks world or one of the other books, how much sketching and concept art do you do just sort of as a matter of your natural process? Um, well, as in terms of how books get done, um, the story is really the the most important thing first. And it's the thing that's going to sell your book before the drawings do. Now drawings, sometimes they help you sell your idea along the way. Um, in my case, I needed to have some kind of storyline for my editor to read and to contemplate, you know, and then I, then I did some early sketches, uh, some early drawings of these possible combinations of trucks. And I think I did Tyrannosaurus trucks was first and then Doceratops was a bulldozer mm-hmm. and a um, Triceratops was next. And I mean, everybody got the idea at that point of where this was all going to go. So, so sketching does, does help, especially when it's really character-based. Right. Um, and unless I'm mistaken, all of your books, I think to this so far have been hundred percent you, you're both author and illustrator. Yes, yes, that's true. I have one book that I illustrated for Scholastic um, last year, but it's, but it's pretty unusual that I illustrate somebody else's book. Usually I'm busy with my own titles. Right. And I, that, I mean, that's fairly rare in the picture book world because there's a lot of, you know, yeah, collaboration. Mm-hmm. Is that by design or, I mean, is collaboration with something that, is that something that you would consider or are you just focused on your own stuff right now? Well, the, the funny thing that most people don't know is that when an when a picture book is made and an author is one person and the illustrator is another, it's almost unheard of that the two ever even speak, let alone collaborate. (laughs) So uh, um, collaboration really isn't kind of what happens unless you go into it together. Like you're a well-known established team. Sometimes that happens, but most of the time, 90% of the time, the author and the illustrator don't know each other at all. Um, And and we'll never actually even talk during the process. But uh, I mean, I chose early on, I could have, I started out as an illustrator um, before I was a writer, so I could have gone either way with that. But I, I wanted to maintain creative control over mm-hmm. my projects, and uh, so I, I, I really pushed for that early. So when you're creating, how much of your art is digital and how much is done on paper? Ah, great question. Um, it depends on the book. Um, as time has gone by, I've gone more and more to 100% digital. My mm-hmm. last three books were 100%, including the sketches. <laughs> so I didn't even <laughs> use any uh, tracing paper. But in, in the case of like Dynatrucks, um, all the drawings were done on paper originally. The, the, the pencil drawings in black and white were all done on paper. Uh, then I scanned those in um, to Photoshop and then added color in Photoshop. So that was kind of a hybrid. Was that was that a hard shift for you to sort of, I mean, I imagine like when you were a student and all of your learning was done traditionally yeah, on paper, it was. so it was, it was hard? Um, it was it was very slow. So I never really felt like I had to suddenly climb this giant mountain of digital. Um, it's been a gradual process for the last, well, almost 20 years now since I got my first computer. Um, and at first, you know, it was pretty rickety. And uh, for those of you who know, Illustrator, it's a little bit different of a program, a little bit easier in some ways. I started out with that and then graduated more into Photoshop when I wanted to do more things, you know. So it really was very a slow, gradual process. Yeah. It's, uh, 
No, go ahead, Jamie. (laughs) No, it's just I I always get curious when, um, you know, artists do make that shift to become almost Mm -hmm. entirely digital. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, just like on the weekend, you could just get the urge to sketch or draw. Do you do you sit down at the computer or do you sit down with a pad and paper? Um, Well, funny story is I don't do a lot of sketching or drawing. (laughs) Really? On the side. No, I I have a lot of other interests and uh, and hobbies. And uh, I when I'm away from my art, I like to stay away. Yeah, I'm working. I like to work. And they don't really it makes me kind of an anomaly amongst my fellow artists because everybody's got a sketchbook and a Mm -hmm. sort of that. And I I mean, I even when I was in art school, they couldn't force me to take to make sketches when I was not in. (laughs) 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 It was funny. But uh, yeah, you're away. You're away. Yeah, right. Yeah. I know that you're a pilot. So I am a pilot too. Is is that what you mostly do when you're away? Um, Yeah, that's one of my activities. Um, I fly a small airplane that I actually built myself. Wow. I've got about five years ago, I completed it about five years ago. It took took three years to build. Um, So that was a big hobby of mine for a while. And I don't build anymore, but I do fly around a lot on the the weekends and, yeah. was, I, I know nothing about, I mean, flying has always sort of been something that I'd love to try to learn someday, but I know nothing <laughs> about planes or flying. So when you built the plane, was it like from a kit or did you just design it yourself? And- it, it, this was from a kit, but though a kit is kind of a misnomer. A kit kind of implies like uh, like a model airplane, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a snap <laughs> kit. Together. It's, I hope it's made of not, it's not made of balsa wood because those are the, those are the planes that I made from kits. Yeah. <laughs> A uh, little bit stronger. It's a chromoly welded frame, so it's a uh, uh, it's a little bit stronger than a balsa wood, but um, it's fabric covered like a Piper Cub. If you think of what a Piper Cub looks like, okay, wow, that fascinates me. Yeah. So how how that was involved, a great journey? How sorry, I was going to take a completely different direction. <laughs> My, um, how involved were you with the development of the DreamWorks show, the Dino Truck show? Um. Early on, now early on when this the property was acquired, it was all set to be a, a feature film, and they had it on a fast track. Um, they wanted to get it out, you know, as soon as they could. They didn't want to sit on it. Right. And um, so early on, they had me write any number of treatments and synopses and all, you know, plot plot uh, summaries about how what how I saw, you know, what a movie would be like. So I did a lot of that. They didn't like any of them. obviously didn't like any of them so they hired um they hired uh somebody to do um some early screenplays and stuff like that and then gradually little by little then i suddenly i didn't hear a lot from them over dreamworks and i was wondering what was going on and what was going on was they were having internal discussions about maybe it should be a tv show so kind of in the middle i was not involved very much and then towards the end it was more advisory i i i don't have um and never did have uh, veto control or you know any anything creative control over the end product it's really really rare that that happens sure did you have any input with cuz i mean the the character designs are pretty drastically different from yours they so are all I did was I just begged them to not make them look like Barney. That's it. I, <laughs> I said, Please don't. I don't want to see them as plush toys. I, I think they should be cooler than that. So yeah. they took it in the direction I definitely was happy with. Yeah. Yeah. So you like the new designs? I do. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Very much. And the new characters too. the the, uh, the reptile yeah. whole line of reptile characters um, is was a really great addition. 
do you? I I don't know if you watched the show, but I'm sure you've seen. Yeah, I've seen all. I've seen all of them. Okay, I mean, is there anything that you see that they've done in the in the show, and you're like, man, I wish I'd thought about doing that. Well, uh, the reptiles certainly. um, The scrapodactyls, I just never got around to it. Yeah, (laughs) I wanted to use them somewhere, and then but they were on it. They were on it before I was. And uh, our characters can't overlap, as you can probably imagine. I can continue writing my books with my characters, but I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't overlap and I can't use there. So um, I, I wish I had thought of that sooner. Yeah. Is it strange? Cause I know that they're coming out with, you know, little books based on the show now. So is it strange to see, you know, your characters taking on a whole new life? Um, yeah, it is. Um, and the books I haven't, I've really seen only a couple of the books. And, yeah. There's just a few. Yeah. And, and they really are just kind of uh, episode recaps. I'm pretty sure. I think they, they're yeah. not trying to tread new ground with right. the story, but um um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it is always, it's always weird when I see the word in public, you know, and <laughs> when, uh, when they were doing their big rollout for the show, you know, they had, uh, they had the whole NASDAQ board rented for a week in, in <laughs> Times Square with all the characters and dino trucks on them, you know, and that was, that was pretty much what I had hoped for it to be. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll bet. I mean, I'm sure even, you know, you're saying you weren't super involved during the development phase. I'm sure it was still quite a thrill, though, to see it, it was. rolled yeah. out the way that it was. Yeah. And they kept me really, you know, up to date a lot. It was it was they were very, very, very good. Very good to work with. Yeah. I mean, when we we talked, like I said, uh, um, we, we had the executive producers on the show. Yeah, I know those guys. Are, yeah. yeah. Ron and David. Ron and, David. and uh, you know, they talked about because dream. Um, Dino Trucks was sort of the first quote unquote original DreamWorks property that they for the Netflix um, deal that they had. Um, so they talked a little bit about, you know, how they had there was not really an overwhelming pressure, but there was this unstated pressure for it to be a success because it was a risk for them. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering if you I mean, probably not, because while they were developing that, you know, you weren't that close to it. But I was just wondering if you had felt any of that pressure to sort of have it see it succeed from a from a business or financial perspective. Well, sure. I mean, everybody wants to be attached to a winning, yeah. <laughs> property, you know, and, and a rising tide raises all boats. It obviously it would be a disappointment if the show, you know, didn't achieve expectations or whatever, but I don't think there's any danger of that. I think it really has. And, um, you know, just my, uh, just the name awareness alone, if I'm in, yeah, I'm on vacation or something, you can say, do you, yeah, do your kids watch Dynatrex? And, and most of them do, you know, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Have you have you found that a lot of kids or families are going from the show back to the books? Um, that's a good question. You know, you, I, I think that uh, I think that that can be true. Uh, now that there are competing books in the market with my books, it's it may it may be a little harder for that. You know, one thing that happens is people who are not familiar with the books their kids are loving the show. Then they go out and buy the books and they have no context. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. These old books don't look anything like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that, that happened to Shrek too, you know, uh, that, that property, when it became a movie and all that, people were like, what, but which came first? Some people are, are confused, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I forget the question, but I was off on something there. Whether, whether uh, the, uh, kids were going, because it, it would yeah, seem well, that like, you I, go from I, the books to the true. show. And I think that I think these days kids are savvier about that things look differently in print and that sure. they come from other things. And, you know. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was I found interesting in doing a little bit of, of research uh, that you create all of your own book trailers. 
I do. Yes. Um, when couple questions out of that. I, mean, I think a lot of people get the assumption that the publishers create the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that not true? It is true. It's probably 99% of the time true because, uh, you know, working in animation, it's a whole different skill set. And if, A, if you're already not digital, it's really going to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if your work is done traditionally, how are you going to scan it in? How are you going to break it apart? How are you going to... Um, you know, how are you going to make it move? So I was just lucky because I already was literate in Photoshop. And uh, the program I use, uh, uh, After Adobe After Effects, is is really almost based on Photoshop. It's the same kind of layered model. And it wasn't, it took me a, it took me a while of trial and error, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. uh, I really like doing it because it's like I can be my own little movie maker, you know. <laughs> was that, I mean, was that from the beginning, was that something that you said, you told the publisher, you said, if we're going to do book trailers, I want to have control over them. Or yeah, did they ask you? I just did them. I just, just did, did them. Say, hey, look what I created. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, believe me, they were more than happy to have me create them. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's, you know, check that off the list. They don't have to deal with it. Exactly. Um, but regarding like book trailers sort of in from a more general sense, I think when they first started appearing, because they're not that old of a concept. They're still relatively right. new. And when they first started appearing, I think a lot of people sort of laughed at the idea, like a mm-hmm. book trailer. Why would you even need such a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but they are becoming more and more common. Yeah. Do you find that they're helpful for getting the word out or are they just sort of a nice creative exercise for you to do? That's a great question. I'm, I'm still not really sure how to quantify, you know, it's whether it leads to sales or not. It's it's really hard to know. And you can look at your views, you know, on, on yeah. YouTube and see how many people are really watching it. Um, but um, it, it's hard to know. Um, I, I, a, yes, it's always a great creative exercise and B, it lasts forever and it's always there and it and it gives life to your, a different kind of life to your, uh, your art, you know. So I'll still, I'll still do them. Though I, I haven't done them for every book. Some books, uh, I did a book called Dog Versus Cat about a year and a half ago that came out a year and a half ago. And and I thought, you know what? I, I just couldn't see how I was going to do this without voices. And I really try to avoid voice talent because it's expensive. It needs good audio quality. You got to you got to audition people. You know, it's just a big hassle. So I kind of I skipped that one. Yeah. What What about using brief videos or trailers in place of a traditional pitch <laughs> if you're going to pitch a new book? <laughs> well, um, that's 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 not a bad idea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It takes about just as much time. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of uh, you know the people who are listening to these pitches, they probably would respond, maybe even a little bit better if they just had the video, the visual and a video, especially well, for a picture book. You know, yeah, that to see is that. absolutely true for a picture book. That um, I, I think that authors who are not artists who are pitching stories, how very difficult that is to because you just you're asking the reader to imagine things that it, that are an integral part of the story, you know, and, and if you can draw your way around it, a pitch is a lot easier. It's no question. Yeah. Um, I was intrigued to learn that you were a stand-up comedian for several years. Uh, I, I was as well. Yes. But I had, everybody should have their stand-up phase. I think. <laughs> How was that? Um, I, I wish I had taken notes cause I would have loved to have written a, a, a nonfiction book about it, the whole experience. Cause it really was, fascinating and difficult and you know with tremendous highs and tremendous lows yeah. <laughs> and uh, i was working when you could still smoke in clubs and uh, i'm lucky i don't have lung cancer really <laughs> seriously <laughs> uh, is it is it really as 
as tough as I, I hear that it is? It, yeah, it is. Yeah. We, we used to call it when we were me and we, the group I was kind of working up with in, uh, in open mic days, you know, we'd be like, man, this is like, this is Navy SEAL training doesn't have anything on this for torture. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can just, you can, if you can just last that phase to get out of open mic and, you know, actually into front of some real crowds, you know, it's, uh, uh, things get easier. Yeah. Are there any um, or videos or recordings of, of any of your bits online? Thank God, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a, what's the term? NSFW, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't, it wouldn't do well for me to have a bunch of YouTube clips of me doing my act. <laughs> the little and, Dino Trucks fans go searching for right. you on Google. <laughs> and then the parents are cross-referencing me to children's yeah. books. It just, <laughs> I'm lucky it was before before phones <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah it was adult adult material so so who are some of your favorite children's authors and illustrators today oh uh, working today um well peter brown of course is a good friend of mine and um uh, love his books i think they're just fantastic um uh i think that um uh, my big heroes getting into it were David Wiesner and um, Chris Van Allsburg because their art was really so pictorial and I could really see myself sort of, you know, fitting in. My, my earlier illustration work was not cartoony, you know, it was very graphic and bold in sort of 20s and 30s. And, uh, you know, when I was debating whether or not I was going to go into publishing, I was like, well, what's how, how am I going to fit in all this? So those those guys were a real help to me. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of David Wiesner, you know, and work that like him and you know Aaron Becker, you know, people who can create these compelling stories out of just visuals without words. Yeah. I think they're um, just incredible. It's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like a silent movie, really. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, do you still get, I mean, being sort of in the industry and, and knowing the cogs and the wheels, do you still get excited for new books from people that you like? Um, I do, though. I, I, I tend to... Um, What's the word? I, I, I'm not one of these. I don't go to bookstores and just, you know, got to read every new book that's coming out. I try to keep myself somewhat insulated creatively because, you know, it's in one hand, you know, you can just the seepage of ideas. just like, oh, yeah, I read that somewhere and it ends up in your work. And even though you don't mean it, you know, and on the other hand, you just got to keep kind of focused on what you you were doing it's easy to get wrapped up in like the latest fad. It's like, Oh man, I really need to come out with a zombie book because all these guys have zombie books. And um, so anyway, that's uh, I, I keep it meter. Right. It's a, it's a careful dose of awareness. Yeah, it's probably for the best. I mean, obviously it's, it's been working for you, but I, w- I would say that, you know, it, it is dangerous to get too, you know, sunk yeah. into other people's stuff. And you know, those, those influences are going to creep in whether you want them to or not. Yeah. Yeah, and and the truth is, when you're in publishing, everybody's book seems like it's selling better than yours. Sure, right. <laughs> you know, so like you just need to focus on what you're doing. Yeah. So I I have a lot of uh, fr- I'm friends in the we in a blogging community that have always said, you know what, I've always had this great idea. I've wanted to write a children's book, and I hear it often from people. So or even just, you know, teens and kids growing up maybe think they want to. So do you have any advice for people that want to get into creating a book or getting it published or anything like that? Um, yeah, I suppose I do. Um, I would say, uh, you know, do your research first and, and research what is this industry? Who, mm-hmm. who prints what? Who are the publishers? 
how do the cogs work? You know, why do I need an agent? And you do, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, why why are all these things true? Why are some things rejected and others not? Um, research is really important because otherwise you just kind of stumble around. You're mailing off manuscripts to people who will never read them, and uh, you know, there's definitely a there's definitely a process to get in. Um, right. And there's so much information on, online out there now uh, on to how to do that. You know, spinning off of that, though, you know, children's publishing, especially it, there's this misconception. And I know that it's a misconception that anybody can do it. You know, yeah. like, oh, I want to write a children's book. That's sort of like the default of people who don't know what else to do. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it, I guess. Why do you feel that people have that idea, that, that assumption that it's it's it must be this easy thing to do? I, I think it's, yes, that may be part of it. I mean, it sounds easier than like, I'm going to write an 800 page novel. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, uh, but I, I think, I think a lot of people just still hang on to the nostalgia of their childhoods, you know, and I think it takes them back to, it certainly does me. I mean, every book I've written has something to do with something in my childhood. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think they kind of want to re kind of experience that. That's, that's my thought. Yeah. It's also, um, it's pretty, I don't know if I want to use the word cutthroat, but I mean, it's a very um, <laughs> difficult industry to break into, um, let alone succeed in, but just to break in, it's very difficult. Yeah. As um, I, I tell people that, um, you know, the old adage is uh, the hardest thing in the world is to get published for the first time. Yeah. And that is true. But in the end, the hardest thing you'll ever do is to stay published <laughs> yeah. uh, because you can get published but staying published means you have to sell books. No question about it. Yeah. Would you Would you still recommend it? I mean, to, to not just the people who say it because they don't have anything else to say or do. You're like, oh, I'm going to write a children's book. Sure. But to somebody who's very serious and has gone to school for for art and or or for MFA and really knows sure. that that's what they want to do. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there are definitely lots of success stories and not just in picture books, but in, you know, middle grade and all the way up. So, uh, it's not like it's an impossible <laughs> dream like by any means. Um, and most people still, and this, this is true in adult fiction or nonfiction. And, you know, you, if you have another source of income, it gets a lot easier. It takes the picture <laughs> off, you know, it's what they say about not quitting your day job and all yeah. that. Um, <laughs> You know, making a living in publishing, and I don't care if it's children's or adult or anywhere in between, is very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's very challenging. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about Nanobots? Ah, Nanobots. Yes. Uh, Nanobots, my new book, which is uh, coming out in August, um, is the story of a uh, microscopic super army of little tiny robots that uh, help mankind do all kinds of great things. And, uh, it's based a lot on the, the current science that I did research on, the current science that's going on today about nanotechnology. And um, I chose to, to tell this story because uh, I was fascinated. I've always been fascinated with robots, mechanics, and all that anyway. So um, a great way to introduce kids, I think, to a whole new concept that is definitely going to be in our future. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to it. As always, the art looks incredible and the, cool. the, the topic there is really appealing to me. So I'm, I'm really looking forward yeah. to it. Um, what's after that? Do you know, what else have you got? Um, on? After that a book I'm working on actually right now that I will have finished by August also, which is due for, I think 
oh, uh, in about a year and a half, is called The Littlest Train. And this is a story about a little train, a little toy train on a train table. And he accidentally, his, his big nemesis is this guy named Mr. Fingers, who is the hand of a child, obviously, who comes and rearranges everything every night <laughs> and uh, removes the tracks and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, he gets knocked off the table and uh, he gets lost, goes outside, gets lost in a bigger world of big trains who have to help him find his way back to the train table. That's awesome. Again, can't, can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that too. Um, you gotta, they gotta sound like you really want to pick them up. That's the, that's my only mantra for, for books. Yeah. Crowd, crowded marketplace, literally. So when you walk into a bookstore, kids have want they, they gotta run right to it and pick it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome, Absolute guys. pleasure. Thank you so much. Very nice to meet you. Well, that's it for this week on the great big beautiful podcast something i found funny about uh the idea of dino trucks is it is such a great idea and at the core of it it's one of those ideas that you're like why i can't believe nobody's done this before he came up with right. it and yeah. we were talking about that and it's really funny sometimes the best ideas are ones that were so obvious no one had ever has ever thought of it <laughs> yeah i bet you other people thought of it and they're like ah somebody yeah someone's already and done they that. just abandoned the idea yeah. you know <laughs> There's a so guy sitting here. With, there's a guy sitting with his manuscripts of Dino Trucks from the '60s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like he he came up with it. And he probably was thinking to himself, "No, there's no way I'm the first person to have done this, right?" Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, hope out there for everybody who has that crazy idea or that idea that they think might not be very original, but could be. You never know. Do your research. Do your homework. And even even sometimes when it isn't original, if if it's your spin and your take and you came yeah. up with it and you're not blatantly trying to copy it. I mean, like if you came up with this idea in your head and you do it yeah. and, you know, ever, they say everything's been done before. So it's it's up to you to take it and make it creative. And that that's what part of being creative is about. I mean, you don't want to rip off a story, but <laughs> no. Yeah, but you're right. It's putting your your voice and your unique spin on it that makes it compelling to somebody else. You know, right. dragons have been done before to death, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, that doesn't mean that there are no more dragon stories to be told. Right. There's dragons no place for dragons, tacos, for example. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great classic children's literature book. It's a good book. It I'm not good. arguing with that fact. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So thank you so much for clicking subscribe. Thank you for listening every single week. I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. Let us know on Twitter at the GBP podcast, facebook.com slash GBP podcast. And we have a phone number you can call. We do. It is 301-825-5653. I won't answer. I promise. You'll go straight to voicemail and you can leave a message there for us. <laughs> he promises he really won't answer it. So <laughs> let us let us know. We want to hear your voices, your pretty, beautiful voices. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not beautiful. That's okay. Even if you don't have a beautiful voice, we'll, you can leave a message anyway. We'll listen. And we'll love I, you all the I same. certainly don't have one and I'm podcasting, so you can certainly <laughs> call us. <laughs> Fair point. All right, I am what 140 Justin C. And I'm at the Roarbots. And you've been listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.